So we've been telling the story of Christmas through the lens of very familiar Christmas carols. And what's amazing is when you pause and think about some of the lyrics that you may have spent your entire life singing or hearing, they tell you some interesting things that you may have not caught on before. And today's hymn is called, What Child of This? It's not very complicated, it's repetitious. Each verse adds a detail. Uh, let me just ask, uh, does anybody know what question this song asks? This just to see if you're up and you failed. It's what child is it, right? And the verse gives all the details. There's a baby, there's a big deal, there's a baby who's sleeping on Mary's lap, and the verses tell you there's shepherds and there's wise men. But the question just looms over the whole song, why does anybody care? And the chorus answers, well, you care because this is Christ the Lord. It's not any baby, but if you could pause and if you could really see who and what Jesus is, if that really sunk in, you would be making a big deal about him too, just like all of the other characters in the nativity. You see this line, haste, haste to bring him laud, is a very old-fashioned way of saying, if you really understood what Jesus was, you would drop everything and you would rush to worship and love Jesus if you could see how big of a deal he was. That's not a new song. It was written in 1865 by someone named William Chatterson Dix. I'll, I'll ask another question. Does anybody know what made this man special? Actually, that's the right answer. Uh, nothing made him special. Uh, no one else knew what was interesting about him either. He was 29 years old, and he had a job at an insurance company. He sat behind a desk processing papers, and uh, people said later on that he sort of liked Christmas songs, which, I mean, who doesn't sort of like Christmas songs? But one day, a group of experts looked at him and said, we have never seen anything like you before, which sounds like a compliment until you realize it was a group of doctors who couldn't figure out why he was sick. And uh, when you're sick, what you want to hear is that you're not special. You want to hear, oh, everybody has this. It's very normal. We cure this a lot. But what he heard was, we don't really know how to make you better. You're incredibly sick. And he, like a lot of people, I guess, came very close to dying and a lot of pain, and the doctors gave him no path forward. And that sort of messed him up. Uh, we would call it a mental health crisis. Uh, I think what happens when death out of nowhere becomes a likely slow path forward, it just messed him up. And what he said, he starts asking really hard questions about life and death and is it worth it? He's 29 years old, then behind a desk. He asks, uh, and he, no TVs back then. He's just stuck with him and his thoughts. And he had to ask all the questions that you kind of ask when you're wondering what life is, what makes him happy, what makes him upset, what gives life any sense of purpose. Why is there suffering? And he thought about it, and that really helped him get depressed and sad and discouraged, and over the next several months, as he laid in a hospital, uh, he ended up getting better from the sickness after a couple months, but he could not get rid of hopelessness. He got his health back, but he couldn't get any hope. 
he lost his symptoms, but he couldn't find very good answers to the question, why to keep living? Why, why go forward? And his life seemed so small and hopeless. If he didn't leave the hospital, who would notice? And what he said is when he was at the bottom, he looked up and had what he called a spiritual awakening. And he thought about the questions for months. He thought about the answers for months. And he, in those dark moments, rediscovered a faith that he had heard about for years. Like he had gone to church, he heard about Christmas, he knew the gospel. It just never sunk into him. It never became the answer he lived out of until those moments. And he would say he, all of that started to come into focus, and he wrote this song out of that experience. It's a song about someone who had seen Jesus his whole life, and he just thought the child was a decoration. And then when he needed God the most, when he didn't have any other answers, he realized that King Jesus had been there the whole time. And of course, it's a song that reaches out. You see the chorus, you, well, you would be in a better place if you two, like the shepherds and the angels and everybody else who dropped everything to follow Jesus, if you would haste, haste to bring him laud, if you would make a big deal about Jesus, you'd be in a better place. The song says that Jesus is bigger than something to take the edge off of cold and flu season. He's a person who, like so many of other people, evaluated all the other answers and found following Jesus the best solution. It's one of these songs that's not complicated, it's simple, but it's a really important message. I'll be honest, this is just me. Um, sometimes this whole season gets so hectic that, again, this is just me, my mental, spiritual life gets sidelined by all the events, concerts, gatherings, the desserts, services, gifts, I mean, we are so busy, Right? Doctor's visits. <laughs> I'm glad to be back, by the way. I was pretty sick last week. But sometimes we get so busy this week that the giant fact that the King of Kings, the Creator, became a baby out of love is lost on us. And I don't think I'm the only one that needs to hear this. I mean, it's a season that's about family and about gifts and shopping and making memories and pictures and all that's wonderful unless we're so busy doing that that we are also sort of in the same, in a different lane, asking all the big questions and the possibility that a king has been born in Bethlehem to help us is lost on us. That Jesus gives resources and guidance and is the answer. The tragedy is we get so busy that we don't really evaluate all of our other answers. Now, today's Christmas story is about people who are looking for answers. They're not on their deathbed. They're not trying to numb uncertainty and chaos by escaping. These were literally professional answer givers. They're called wise men. I'm going to tell you their story. You'll find this in the book of Matthew chapter 2. I'll tell it. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. 
Then Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. So we start with a group of people called the Magi, sometimes called wise men, these are essentially professional political advisors. They are uh, walking encyclopedias. They, well, they were kings who hired the best to come up with the best answers. And the Magi were some of them. They curated traditions. They knew history and numbers. They were, well, these ones were obsessed with looking for patterns and natures. They looked at planets and stars, and somehow they were looking for the birth of Jesus. They're a fascinating group of people, and I don't know everything about them, but here's the thing about answers, especially to big questions. Everybody has answers, and sometimes the pathway to truth looks like questioning your assumptions. Am I right? Their assumption is that the kings have answers and are good and are helpful, so their assumption is that to find the newborn king, you go to a palace. And they go to King Herod's palace, and they quickly found out that what they believed was wrong. Part of the Christmas story is that God's plan is often different from what our plans would be. That really catches you off guard. And sometimes the truth isn't always what you think it is. One of the lessons of the Christmas stories, God's way, even if it doesn't make sense to us, is better than what we have planned. And we would have never planned to have King Jesus being born in a manger, but that's what God did. And sometimes the pathway to find the right answer starts by questioning your own assumptions. Maybe Jesus isn't born in a palace. Maybe you don't find all your joy and satisfaction in being a, I don't know, 29-year-old businessman when, and you notice this, when your health fades. That's what our Carol writer discovered. Or you may assume that you find happiness in what most people look for. Not, not being a king, that'd be weird today. Most people think we'd be happy with a really good family or a fulfilling career, supportive community, or just the normal broad categories of pursuit of money, sex, and power, the things that most people make lives meaningful. Or maybe, maybe the way you answer the question of what gives life meaning is maybe you're just irrationally happy because your football team had a 10-1 record and you were going to go to the Super Bowl. And uh, friends, I don't know what happened to my Eagles, but it's very, very sad. <laughs> um, 
The fact is, normal things let you down. Or maybe you thought that the king was wise, that powerful people could make things better. And you are disenchanted like the Magi because so many of our assumptions, the things we think should work, like a king in Palestine, they can let you down. Goals let you down. All the things we tend to trust in can let you down. In fact, I don't want to get too down here, but some of us have been around long enough. Some of you have found yourself on the other side of disappointment so many times that you just have given up on finding hope. So you give up on health or hope or community. Some of you are at this point where like, you, you look at the new year and instead of coming up with all these resolutions to find you know, this year is going to be better, you just go, it's, I've tried this a bunch of times and it's, it's probably not going to be better, right? Lots of us grow numb to even asking questions anymore to make things better because we have not found the answer anywhere else we've looked. Now, here's one of the lessons of the wise men. Sometimes the problem is you're looking in the wrong place. You're in a palace when you should be looking in a manger. It makes sense to look in a palace, but somehow God has the answer somewhere else. We all want to look in the palace. You expect what lots of people expect. We look in the normal conventional things. You think that what people think about you gives you your identity. You may expect that more newer stuff makes you happy, that friendly and, and family and friends who support you uh, make you encouraged instead of draining you. We all do this. We all, like the Magi, go to the palace looking for solutions, and then we're shocked over and over again when we discover that the things we misplace our hope in fail us. Christmas is about, is about the, a question. What if God has a very different answer than where most of us are looking? What if instead of a palace, God went to a manger? One problem is if the answer is different, conventions get threatened. There's this line in the story that King Herod was disturbed, one of the great understatements of the Bible. You sort of think Herod going, I mean, if, if everyone's going to go to a manger, that's a threat to my standing. And I don't want to over, overply this, but it begs the question, what contemporary powers are threatened by a manger? You could throw in anything here. Uh, I wonder how retail would do if people were really satisfied and grateful for Jesus instead of stuff that disrupt the market a bit probably. You wonder what would change if people who are finding escape and refuge in, I don't know, addiction, if they found hope in God instead of substances. I wonder if people found their identity in Christ and worked in love and courage instead of finding identity in what people think about us. I wonder how different that might make everything. I imagine it would lead to some difficult changes. And I don't I'm not ready to speculate about all the things that would change if we found our answers in Jesus instead of other things, but I can tell you what happened in the story. Herod was so threatened by people going to Jesus for answers that he tried to kill the baby. 
first he tried to use the Magi as informers, as spies, and when that didn't work out, he, I mean, this is a, a horrible detail, he murdered all the boy toddlers in Bethlehem because he was threatened. Jesus disrupts normalcy. If Jesus is king, you can't just feature him as an annual decoration theme and then put him away. If he's king, you have to obey him. You have to make a big deal about it. That's the difficult thing about this. Worship means valuing God enough to obey him, which is tough. Because we're really happy to let the shepherds and the angels, the wise men, they can have disrupted schedules for Christmas um, but me personally, I would, you know, I would like a Jesus that just fits in with my schedule, that pats me on the back, says, Sam, you're doing a great job. But the thing is, if Jesus is king, then I'm not king. If Jesus is king, he's not just chilling out, patting us on the back. Kings make demands. Kings are disruptive. And non-kings, like, like me, we, we say things like, yes, Jesus. Tim Keller fletches this out. He says, that question, where is the true king? The one that the Magi asked. What child is this? That's disturbing. Because deep down, each of us, we all want to be in control, in charge of our own lives. It's true for everybody. Religious people can use God as a way of getting what they want. Non-religious people, run away from religion because they want to be in charge. We all have this natural inclination to push back against the notion that Jesus is king because if Jesus is king, we have to obey him in ways that are disruptive. What the fact is, when you answer that question, what child is this, that changes everything. What I love about the song is it says, I mean, this is, this is Christ the King. It's who shepherds watch and angels, oh, I, I read it wrong, you get the idea. It's Christ the King. Haste, haste to bring him law. This is an invitation for everyone to center your life around obeying, trusting, finding your hope, your answers in a newborn son of Mary. This is hard, right? Part of growing as a Christian no matter how long you've been following Christ, part of following Jesus is a process of giving him more and more control of our lives. The problem is we're all a little bit like King Herod. We're all unhappy getting threatened. We're happy going, Jesus, we'll sing nice songs about you. Just you know, don't, don't try and fight this part of me. I don't know what you hang on to, but... Don't mess with, I don't know, my, my hatred of strangers. Don't mess with my greed. Don't mess with my substance abuse. Don't make me tell the awkward truth to family that might make things hard. Don't challenge my comfort, Jesus. I like being comfortable. Part of growing in faith is going, Jesus, if you're king, I'm going to obey. Repentance is giving more and more respect and worship to king. It's something that we gradually move toward as Christians until at the end of time we're with Christ, with perfect bodies and perfect souls, worshiping him wholly like those magi did. That's our story for today. And I, I wonder if God might be telling us something in this story today. I'll pose it this way. What if, what if 
we're all a little bit like the Magi. What if you find yourself looking in the wrong places for answers? What if you go, it makes sense to go to this for the answers to my problems. A king's going to be in a palace. What if God's telling you to question that? That maybe God has something else. Maybe like a baby in a manger. And if that's true, shouldn't you take that seriously? This is really hard, right? Because kings aren't predictable. Jesus isn't what you'd expect. He's not living in a palace. Jesus didn't have any academic credentials. He doesn't have much polish. He doesn't have social status. And by the way, the story doesn't get much better. So uh, Joseph has to take Jesus to Egypt. Then when he comes back, he settles in Nazareth, which is not a good town. Um, Jesus not just born in a manger. Jesus not just having to grow up in Egypt, but he grows up in Nazareth, which you get an idea of what people think about this. And John, when Nathaniel goes, Nazareth, what good thing could possibly come from there? People look down on Jesus because of where he was from. Some people kept what Jesus looked like, his social status, as an excuse to not listen to him. This is one of those tensions in the life of King Jesus. It's an obstacle. Because none of us, by default, look up to people who look like baby Jesus did. The world has always looked down on people, born in the wrong place with the wrong credentials. We all want to go to the palace. Everything about Jesus contradicts this. Think about where he goes from there. At the climax of his life, he ascends not to a throne, but to a cross. He came to bear suffering, shame, and death as our substitute so that when we trust, we're reconciled to God through him. So that when he comes back again the second time in glory, he ends all evil without ending us. In his weakness, he's strong. And when you understand who and what this vulnerable child is and becomes, when you answer, what child is this? It's Christ, the King. You can't help but haste to bring him worship. You would hurry and go, Jesus, you're in charge. What should I do different? It is a hymn you may have sung a million times, but I want you to hear it in a fresh way. It's a song about seeing who Jesus is in a way that changes what you're centered on, how you act, who and what you love, because this child is king. So Father in heaven, can you forgive us for all the times we rushed past Jesus heading to a palace, for all the ways that we thought we knew better, for all the different times that we We're so happy with conventional answers to our problems that we we ended up in dark places because we didn't follow your light. This Christmas, can we not be passive listeners, but can we actively follow you, O Christ? Can we follow you to places that may be uncomfortable, 
that may challenge us, may push us to be better versions of ourselves, but can you help us to treat you as the king that you are? And may you help us feel your love and your comfort and your peace and your hope as we follow you faithfully. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.